Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Well, O'Toole, O'Toole, O'Toole. <laughs> so much input this week around our podcast last week. Yes, so Hollister, why don't you start us off? So Anna, I loved that, um, of course she agreed with me, which is not what I loved, but I loved her point of view of uh, around the beguiled. I liked your comment about the Garden of Eden, and I agree with what you said about the movie needing time to set the stage for the story and the reaction of the women to the soldier. In fact... This is the part that I thought, wow, I hadn't thought of this. In fact, I had also thought about it, but somehow arriving to a different conclusion, what I thought was that it would have made sense to make the portion before his arrival a little longer to highlight the contrast of the house and their lives with and without his presence. I think that's brilliant. It's absolutely would have changed the trajectory of us understanding how the monotony could just make everybody crazy, you know? Although, I don't know that I could have handled any more monotony. I'm really sorry. It would have made it three hours rather than, you know. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, isn't Gone with the Wind four hours? You know, the southern the southern melodramas seem to go on and on and on. But um, anyway, I thought that was actually absolutely brilliant. Okay, and then Vera, from, um, who often writes us with recommendations, she's recommending Okja from Netflix, which I had seen the, the trailer for, but I wasn't going to watch it. Are, are you interested? I was curious about this film. This was the one that was directed by the famous South Korean director that caused all the controversy at the Cannes Film Festival this past year. It was Netflix's first foray into the festival, and they were booed because people thought they were blurring the lines too much between the big screen and the small uh-huh. screen. It stars Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal. Ten years in planning, on the cusp of a product that will feed millions. And what happens? That farmer girl is going to destroy us. Now that I've seen what Vera said about it, I, I'm definitely going to check right? it out. I know, right? But w- watching the trailer, I was like, not so much. So it'll be very interesting. And very big news out of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Our beloved show, McLeod's Daughters, which okay. was recently voted the most popular Australian TV show of all time. McLeod's Daughters, we have to spell it because it's M-C-L-E-O-D-S. You actually went to Australia to interview the director-writer of it, um, your best friend, Posey Graham, right? I am blown away by the talent of Posey Graham Evans. She's been approached by the studio to do a reboot. Have you heard from her? Well, I'm just going to quote her here. She says, please don't think it's in the bag yet. It's not. It could all dissolve like mist in the morning. And if it does, I'll be at peace with that. I've been in this business a long time. (laughs) But she promises to keep us posted. Okay, good. Good to know. Good to know. But this gives everyone else a chance to catch up on Netflix. Yeah. Anyway, it's McClellan. Cloud's Daughters, and we did love it, so we'll look forward to hearing about that. Okay, so I went, and I, it's so funny, I sometimes watch Oprah's uh, Super Soul Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I watched William P. Young was on it. He wrote The Shack, which was just came out as a movie about three months ago, and is now on all kinds of outlets where you can watch it on iTunes and Amazon and a number of other places. And I was listening to him talk about his own personal trajectory in Christianity and in his marriage and, you know, just what a wonderful man who was lightly moving his toe through the whole interview. And I thought, I, I can relate to that guy. I really like him. So I decided to watch The Shack this weekend, and I did. And, you know, when you have, you know, Octavia Spencer, who plays God, I mean, how can you not want to watch this movie? Why did you bring me here? There's no easy answer that'll take your pain away. Where were you when I needed you? I never left you. I never left this 
Ain't it just like a tear? That's fantastic casting. Well, fantastic. Well, mm-hmm. it was until we get to little Tim McGraw, who really needs to stick to singing rather than acting. Really? I've enjoyed him in things. Yeah, I have like, too. I haven't noticed him. Like, he's been in things and it's like, okay, he met the grade, but... Did you not enjoy him in The Blind Side? Um, I did like him in The Blind Side. I thought he was really good, but it, but that was an easier role. This is a role where there's a great tragedy. Uh, you know, his, a young daughter is murdered and this family is falling apart and, and Tim's sort of like talking about it like he had breakfast yesterday last Thursday, you know? <laughs> He just doesn't quite oh, get no. it. So anyway, I don't think he was up to the task, but the rest of the cast is very good. And here's the thing, you know, I'm on a, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm on a constant quest for understanding spirituality and religion and, you know, uh, you know, in many, many ways. And this was the first time the explanation for why bad things happen and why God's okay with it was acceptable to me. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is because you should watch it if you want to know. That sounds like a very big answer. Well, it takes a long while to get there, but it's sort of worth the wait. Now, what's interesting is William Young wrote this book because he, he was carrying three jobs. He had six children and he had nothing to give them for Christmas. So he decided he had a train ride that was 40 minutes each way every day. So he decided to take the 40 minutes each way and write a book because his wife had said to him, write to your children about what you believe in, you know, where your belief comes from. What do you believe in? And I thought, gosh, that's pretty amazing. And out, out of this, this desire to give them something for Christmas came the shack. And so for that reason alone, I think it's worth taking a look at. So that's my review of The Shack. And I also think The Shack makes it sound like it's a burger place or something. So Of course, I think Shaquille O'Neal. Exactly. Did you watch Personal Shopper, which we bought on our iTunes account? Alistair, I tried. I, I tried to get through it because I'd heard so much about this last year when it was the first film booed at the Cannes Film Festival. It's a lot of Kristen Stewart. And I know you're a Kristen Stewart fan. Oh, I could watch her so, walk from part to part to place to place any day, you know. But it was the first film of the 69th edition of the Cannes International Film Festival to be booed by some of the critics. But other critics gave it rave reviews. And after the first showing, there was a standing ovation for it. It was very funny, though, what some of the people behind the film said, that even though it was a ghost story, partly, it was the critics who started the boos. You have nothing better to do besides dress Kira. I'm waiting. What are you waiting for? My twin brother Lewis died here. It's been 95 days. We made this oath. Whoever died first would send the other a sign. From the afterlife. It was as though she had walked out of their last collaboration together. This movie was also written and directed by Olivia Assayas. And I thought her performance was very interesting in Clouds of Sia Maria, which starred Juliette Binoche, and there she played her assistant yeah, when we no, were still true. in yeah. France. I felt like it was so disjointed where she's a personal shopper and not a happy one. I mean, she's whiny and gripey and playing the victim and hates her job, although it's not clear to me why when so many people would give their front teeth well, to you be and a personal shopper thing. in Paris. <laughs> But then why did she take the job? I mean, this is kind of like well, Devil Wears said, Prada you know, where she, you're in, like... In a phone call with her boyfriend, she says why she took it. She took it 
Because she needed to needed to have enough money to be able to stay in Paris to try to connect with her brother who's deceased. But as though she's the only hireable person in France, because then she meets the boyfriend who's waiting so the supermodel can break up with him, and he offers her a job in Berlin even though he doesn't know her. So all this stuff is coming her way, but she's not grateful for it anyway. She's whiny. She's waiting. She's the only person smoking. I mean, when in doubt and you don't know where to send the plot, just to have someone light up, even though she has a heart condition. So to me, it's all over the map. She's a personal shopper. She's a medium. She's waiting for a ghost. It wasn't even clear to me her boyfriend was her boyfriend as they were FaceTiming each other because I thought there was zero chemistry. I couldn't handle the toothpick, the sneakers, the brusqueness of Kristen Stewart. I didn't last, but I did think the mise-en-scene was very interesting. The composition of the framing of the shots, that was very well done. Alrighty then. <laughs> okay, look, I, I'll watch her go walk, do, stand there, whatever she wants to do, I'm in. But I think her choices are very interesting, and I think they always reflect a piece of her that snubs her nose at anything that is you know, traditional or expected or whatever. And I think this movie is one of those places, but it really was like this one woman show where this woman was walking through life with as little conversation as possible. How can I speak as little as possible? Whereas her clipped speech made me think she'd spent too much time on set with Jesse Eisenberg in Cafe Society. It's very high profile. Thank you. She can't do normal things. So I assist her. But I just, I guess my problem with it is, I'm not sure what was the point, and I certainly have no idea what happened. (laughs) Meaning, I have no idea if, in fact, she was connected to her brother after he departed this world or not. And then, you know, there's the the last couple lines of the movie. I'm going to do a spoiler here. I'm lost. I can't tell whether or not I'm going crazy. Unless I see you. Or is it just me? And I sort of thought, gosh, you know, I, I really need a little more from you here. You know, and then, and then it's over. I feel like that's how I feel about Kristen Stewart in this movie. Is it you, Kristen Stewart, or is it me? Because I could not bond with the movie. No, I, I, I mean, I, I made myself sit through the whole thing, and I started multitasking halfway through. I, I found it disjointed and disconcerting and disappointing and a lot of D words. So I give it a D. <laughs> um, and... I just don't think it's there. But at the same time, I if I were writing a screenplay or I was going to do any movie where it called for a dramatic actress, I would call that girl up because I think she can play anything. I think she's amazingly good at what she does. See, I still have not warmed to her, but I have to give her credit because in their last collaboration, Clouds of Sea Maria, she won a Cesar for that, which made her the first American actress to ever win that French prize. So, yeah, I, you, know, you know, I don't care. I mean, you're, you're you much more s- into the awards thing than I I'm am. Just, no, but I'm just saying you can go start your Kristen Stewart fan club in France. Uh, I, I just think she takes interesting roles, very interesting roles. A very busy actor. Yeah, she's very easy with herself, her body, and her fluidity when she moves. She's just amazing. You know, maybe we should just film Kirsten Stewart for two weeks, make it into a two and a half hour movie and I would be happy. Well, I'll be catching up on McLeod's daughters okay. while you're off working on that okay, project. That's a good plan. Okay. All right. And then we both went to see the big sick <laughs> colon an awkward true story. Okay. Can I just say, you know how I am about titles. Mm-hmm. Now I looked, I looked it up. They named it after some song or something from 20 years ago when the husband and wife team that wrote it, 
uh, it, it just, it, it was, you know, it was sort of like, are you trying to be the big chill and not doing it? Uh, I just didn't think it was a good title. It even made me feel a little queasy. Actually, isn't that's interesting. From a marketing perspective, I bet some people won't see it because of the title. They won't look beyond the title to see what it's about. Okay, so once we moved beyond the title and we went in, did you laugh out loud? No. It, did, did you, you laugh out loud once? Maybe. Mm, I didn't even laugh out loud once. He's not funny. You know, Hollister, I was so curious what you were going to think about this because let me just start with what I like about the movie. Okay. I love the real story behind it, the dynamic between the real life couple who wrote the script. Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Borden. Congratulations to both of you on the movie. It's getting rave reviews. It was produced by Judd Apatow. That's right. Right? And it's about a real-life story about the two of you. We sort of met, and we were dating, and my parents wanted me to marry a, a you know, a Muslim-Pakistani woman, so they were trying to get that going. And then... <laughs> it's going to sound serious. We promise it's a comedy. Uh, so... We had some complications. A few months into our relationship, Emily fell into a coma. Um, just a light coma. I hate when that happens. <laughs> did you see Emily at the end? I did. I loved that at the yeah. end. When you bring in the real life aspect with the little snapshots, and here Zoe Kazan plays her. So. Zoe Kazan, granddaughter of Eli Kazan, who he directed 21 actors to Oscar nominations. And to nine wins. And here's his granddaughter, mm -hmm. who became an actor, and she said the whole family is beside themselves because he never had much respect for actors. It was all about the storytelling. He sort of thought they were the adjective that you had to have on, on set. So interesting, though, that she's his granddaughter. Yep. I mean, On the Waterfront, Streetcar Named Desire, and both her parents were screenwriters. Yeah. So very interesting. I love that the real-life couple who wrote the script, they're podcasters. I love that the script came about due to a podcast. Dad Apatow heard his real-life story of how he met his wife, and he's like, that's the story you need to pitch. You know, it's one of those stories you can't even believe really happened. I love the twist on what can be a very tired genre of the rom-com. I love rom-coms, but it's hard to find a new wrinkle. And this one where you think, okay, the woman virtually naps through act two, I find that interesting. But in terms of a rom-com, I didn't find it that romantic and I didn't find it that funny, even though it's getting rave reviews. So, you know, I just didn't see their chemistry. But just so you know, when she was sleeping in all those scenes, sometimes she would fall asleep and then she would bolt awake and they'd have to start the scene over again. <laughs> I just thought you should know that she, poor girl, was not able to stay awake as she laid there. She said they really hooked her up to those machines. So all the vitals you see in the hospital scenes are her real-life idols of Zoe Kazan. And they were like, you can't get up because it takes like 15 minutes to unstrap you. Yeah. So the crew would leave to like go set up for the next take and I would just be stuck there for like 45 minutes on my own. So I would hide books under my back so that I could read in my hospital bed between coma takes. Yeah. I know I've said this before, but this is always my biggest hurdle with a Judd Apatow production. And I know he was very involved with script revisions and, you know, he's the one that chose the script, which again, I, I loved the premise of this, but it's where feckless seems to be so often equated with lovable. Oh, and yeah. I'm just tired of these rom-coms where one character is just so weak, even uh -huh. their meat cute. 
I didn't think was that cute. It, it was a moment that had such potential. Uh, there was nothing funny or, or wonderful, nothing. Like yeah. he could have been really charming in the moment they met. And the reprise of that line I thought had more payoff. But when the friend sitting next to her leaves the two of them so they can talk alone, she's like, okay, then I, I was thinking the way he delivered that line, I would never have forgiven my friend if she had left me alone with a guy that seemed a little The other aggressive. problem is he can't act. He's not funny and he can't act. So they're right there we have a huge problem right at the beginning but the worst part about it for me was that the scenes were never tied together so he would leave the hospital and go home to his roommate who was also a comedian and the roommate never said is she awake or what's happening or it was like all these scenes that had no tie in to each other and so you know her parents whenever they were on the scene they were in the scene but you never really had them entering in anywhere else. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge lover of Holly Hunter, but I, I, you know, I just thought she looked ridiculous. It was sort of like she was bringing back the character in Raising Arizona, a little crazy, a little out there, a little disheveled, you know, a little, uh, I, I, the characters in here were caricatures rather than characters and they didn't tie to each other well at all she did have a very interesting way of sitting in a chair <laughs> and yet my favorite scene bar none do you want to guess what it okay, was let me think don't tell me yet let me give me a minute here oh the well the funniest scene bar none was in the trailer and you sort of gave thought made you think this was going to be a great movie was when her father comes in and says do you play board games you play it you can't rhyme it you try to find a word that nobody can rhyme okay Stonehenge. Yeah, see, you would win. Yeah. I liked Ray Romano in this because for me, it's a hurdle to get over his character of everybody loves Raymond. But it was when Holly Hunter took after the frat boy who heckles Camille on stage when he he starts shouting Isis. And I'll tell you why I loved that moment is that I felt like of all the characters in the movie, Holly Hunter was the most principled. So she wasn't all nicey-nice to him when she first meets him because she sees it through the perspective of her daughter and what he did to her daughter. I think I'm just going to wait anyway. You guys broke up. I'm not sure why you're here. But when she went after that frat boy, I was like, this is what's missing from the romantic interest, where you think, okay, when Zoe Kazan delivers that line that I thought was heartbreaking that's in the trailer. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. No, I mean, can you imagine a scene with Gregory Peck immobilized going... Yeah, but I always found Gregory Peck a little bit on the boring side. Or, you know, pick your actor of choice who says, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to take this relationship to the next level at some point. I'm just tired of these stunted characters where I think it's it's taking them far too long to become an adult with a backbone. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of the reviewers... In fact, I don't think I've read a review that doesn't talk about how... Uh, This is an important movie because it's dealing with some of the issues of our time, and I assume that they're referring to this ISIS moment. But again, it was this bunch of isolated moments where he was being attacked for being from Pakistan that just didn't tie into each other. So it's sort of like, okay, let me make a statement about this. Okay, let me make a statement about love. Let me make a statement about, you know, it's like, seriously? And then there were all these moments of tension. Should they move her to a different hospital? That that never had an end result, nor, by the way, does the movie end well, because I don't know what happened, and I certainly have no idea whether, in the end, her, her the his family accepts her or not. I don't think they wrapped up the loose ends well at all. It just was a bunch of one-liners 
in a, in a bunch of different scenes that never came together. It's interesting what you say about the rave reviews it's getting for talking about things like ISIS. It doesn't talk about I, it, you know? It doesn't. And I thought he was insensitive in some of his bad jokes about 9-11 and even Malala. So I don't feel like it went deep on that level. And ironically, when you get a movie where it's supposed to be romantic comedy and people are from two completely different cultural backgrounds. So take, for example, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Usually it's the family who's come from another country, where that family is the colorful, interesting family that knows how to live and have joy and dance. And you kind of feel sorry for the white family, where they show up and they're like, I brought the bunt cake, you know? And ironically, watching this movie, I thought Holly Hunter and Ray Romano were far more interesting yeah, than it just, his parents. It didn't come together. And yet, and since he was one of the writers, you would think that he would have brought in some really layered nuance to the people playing yeah. his parents. So in real life, he asked his father, he said, well, who would you like to play you? And his father immediately said, Anupam Kerr, who is a huge Bollywood legend. This was his 500th film. And there's a scene at the end where you see his talent, and yet they didn't make the most no, of that no. in I mean, the well, movie at all. His, talent, you know? his family felt more stereotypical. Now, I loved Zoe in It's Complicated, where she plays um, Meryl Streep's daughter. I did not love her in this. And everybody's touting her as, you know, this is a great performance, and... I don't think so. You know, um, even when she was getting sick, she didn't look like she was getting sick. Oh, I thought she did. I liked her in this. I, I liked not. watching her get changed underneath the bed sheet. She also doesn't own the screen. I thought she did. I thought she was very good. Yeah. It's just I would have gotten rid of some of the dialogue. Like even at the end where she's talking to her parents and says, you remind me of my freshman roommate, that whole bit. I was like, ugh, that dialogue just doesn't well, and feel yet none of it came together. funny but or also, believable. Also, I didn't think that she did much to bring a scene together. And I certainly, you know, did not think she could carry a scene there's no scene that stood out to me as she carried it. And whether she was heckling or at the bar or in his room or when she, you know, leaves because she needs to go to the bathroom, she just doesn't carry the scene. You know, she's acting in the scene, but she doesn't carry it. I thought she did. Yeah. When she came out of the coma, I thought she did. When she asked the pivotal question, do you see a future where we're together? I thought I she did. I don't even remember her face when she was saying that, actually. Oh, she was just in tears. I thought she was very yeah, good enough. with dialogue that could I mean, have when you pit her against some of the actors, you know, that are n the Natalie Portman type of actors, I just don't think she could carry the day, so. There was also a major mistake. Did you see the mistake? They're going into the hospital, and it says Long Island Jewish Hospital on it. Did it yes! really? and they're supposed to be in Chicago, and I'm like, this is not working for me, people. Details matter. I thought Zoe Kazan did look like the real... Emily V. Gordon, who said that her real-life mother and father, they were thrilled that Holly Hunter and Ray Romano were going to play them. And she said that her family's favorite movie is Raising Arizona. Mm. So they couldn't believe it. Well, I mean, I, you know, I would love Holly Hunter to play me too. I just would hope she wouldn't do it quite that way. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought she was interesting to watch. I just want to play a little clip here of Ray Romano sharing a backhanded compliment he got from Holly Hunter. She gave me the best backhanded compliment I ever had. She, after we worked together for a week, she came to see me do stand-up. And when I got off stage, she said, she goes, you're different. You're different up there. She goes, you're... <laughs> You're like a man up there. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, was, I, I took it. I don't, know what, I don't know what she thought I was for the week, uh, but I'm fine with it. Uh, uh. But you know something that I actually, when I thought about it later, 
I thought this was kind of interesting, is that going back to my point about Act 2, he's really bonding with her parents. And in the end, he probably gets their approval before hers, which if you think about it, that's more of an arranged marriage kind of concept than a love match. I I think that's a far stretch, but... Um, More I, mean, she, so, I mean, here you are, you can pick up on the Garden of Eden and the well, Beguiled. The par- but the parents made no pressure on him to accept, you know, to accept him. No, I don't, I don't mean from that point of view, but where you get the families involved in picking who might be right for you. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't see your parents picking at all. I just found them finding solace in him, but not really commenting on the relationship. So even though Holly Hunter invites him to the party and she touches his face and she says, I hope this isn't the last time we well, see each other. she says with and him alone. She doesn't say that in front of her daughter. But I don't think it has to be in front of her daughter. I think she was the one, again, because he's so feckless and needs to be pushed yeah, okay. in the right direction, okay. telling him, look, you got our approval. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't see that there. But hey, you know, different strokes for different folks. But, um, but I also wish they had cleaned up some of the loose ends. And here's what's interesting. So Judd Apatow's had huge successes. And I think he's had some things that really didn't make much sense. And I think he's a good storyteller, but I also think, again, I don't think he really can understand the nuances of this story, and it was just too lightweight. When the when you're going to bring tragedy into comedy, they have to be combined in the same drink. You can't drink comedy and then drink tragedy and then drink comedy and then drink tragedy. And you have to combine the two. So during a tragic moment, there has to be some really funny lines, and there weren't. And so I kept waiting for the funny lines to happen. And the uh, because I had seen the Ray Romano moment when he says, well, then you would win, you know, and he delivered it brilliantly. You sort of think, okay, this movie is going to be filled with that. And it's not. And awkward moments with great humor in them. Not so much. That was the only one that really worked. It's not that I didn't like this movie. It's just I had very high expectations. But in terms of the Judd Apatow franchise, this would be on my more favorable end of that slide. You know, no, I mean, I couldn't get through Bridesmaids. There was no way I I could barely fast forward through it. Or appropriate or anything else. I hated it. So compared to Bridesmaids, this, you know, I appreciate much more. It's just, it left me depressed. It wasn't a rom-com that left me feeling uplifted or... But you have to compare it to Trainwreck. Okay, Trainwreck had tragic moments when she's giving her father's eulogy and she makes it really funny and really sad. That's great writing. And that's bringing comedy to tragedy, which is what he was trying to do here. And it didn't work. I laughed much more in Trainwreck. Yeah, it was a much better That is definitely true. And I thought Bill Hader was a much more interesting love interest in Trainwreck. Here, I thought he was an empty vessel. So I thought the point was interesting when he's doing his one-man show. And she said, look, you're not really revealing any of your own emotions. I learned a lot about the history of Pakistan, but not really who you are as a person. And it's how I felt about his character in the movie. Ironically, it was him playing himself, and I felt least attached to his character. And yet, I mean, there were some moments where he shows her that photo of himself with the Hugh Grant hair, or says, can I have an awkward goodbye hug? I mean, there were moments where I thought this could have had a lot of potential. Well, I'm going to leave our listeners with, why don't you wait until it comes to Netflix? And if you've got, I don't know, some friends who might find it entertaining, watch it with them. But, you know, don't don't go out of your way to see this, that's for sure, from my perspective. Well, 
I would say the documentary that I loved, Meet the Patels, Mm -hmm. when I had heard last year that that had been optioned to be turned into a narrative feature, when I first heard about this movie, The Big Sick, I thought, oh, is this Meet the Patels with a health twist added in? I thought Meet the Patels was a better choice. So check out that documentary where I thought you really felt the love of that family. That's a great point. How do we, uh, how do we want to do this? Just start at the beginning of the story. Right. The story starts two years ago in LA. I had just broken up with Audrey and I was miserable. We'd been together for two years and I had never told mom and dad about her. In fact, they were freaking out because you know, here I was almost 30, never married, which in our culture is like- Code red. Code red. We are having a great time with the family. Amazon bought this film at Sundance And they paid $12 million for it, which for Sundance is really, really high praise indeed. And it was not on the block. They weren't, uh, the uh, Apatow did not want it to come out on Netflix. He wanted it to come out in the theaters and so did the writers. And so they didn't allow Netflix, for example, to bid on it. But it just goes to show the power of things like Amazon where they've got so much cash that you know, uh, they paid a lot of money for this movie, a lot of money. And I'm glad. I like to see Amazon on the screen when I'm in a theater. I do. Now, it was directed by Michael Showalter, who did, he wrote and directed Hello, My Name is Doris. And Camille Nanjani had a small part in that. But interestingly, the film opens nationwide on July 14th, which also marks the 10-year wedding anniversary of the real Camille Nanjani and Emily V. Gordon. Well, good for them. <laughs> what a nice way to, to celebrate your anniversary. Okay, let's just leave this film behind and go to our list of six of female villains from the screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, how fun is that? Now, I didn't do Corella DeVille. I just want to put that out there. You didn't? No. Are you cheating already? Because I don't think she's a villain. She's my favorite character. I just want to say, I know you're expecting it and probably some of our listeners are, but Corella DeVille, I don't think, is a villain, so I didn't put her out there. I just want to say that right up front. Interesting. Okay, what do you? Okay. What would you like to start with? I'm going to start with The Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, my God, great From villain. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I can't believe that movie came out in 1939. If you had asked me what year it had come out, I didn't know it was that old. That's the first movie I ever saw that gave me nightmares. Just picturing The Wicked Witch of the West and biking through the trees. You cursed rat! Look what you've done! They used to play it on Christmas. <laughs> that is so fun. Well, maybe Margaret Hamilton's green makeup. It's not that far a cry from The Grinch Who Stole yeah. Christmas. That's a great choice. I like that choice. Although it's hard because when you saw Wicked on Broadway, then you knew that the Wicked Witch of the West wasn't so wicked at all. Yes, and I heard in the movie, even though Glenda and the Wicked Witch are sisters, that that wasn't the case in the original book. Uh, well, by the way, the, uh, my daughter and I read all the books. There's like a ton of them. And um, oh. yeah, they... They made, they did a lot of poetic license on their own when they when they wrote the screenplay for that. Do you remember the story of how they called it Oz? Um, no, I don't. Frank Baum, the writer, he couldn't come up with the name of the place. And he looked across his office, and there was a file cabinet, and he had A through N and O through Z, his two file cabinets. And he saw O through Z, and he goes, Oz, that's I it. I love that. I love that. Even though nobody has file cabinets anymore. Um <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go with Glenn Close's portrayal of Alex Forrest in Fatal Attraction. You know, Hollis, it's so funny. It's on my list. What's the highest grossing film of 1987? And just to show how much 
Glenn Close liked that role, she still has the knife hanging in her kitchen at her house. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Does she use it? Or <laughs> I don't it's know, just ornamental. But I, I sort of like that about her. It's almost so tongue in cheek, you know, Glenn Close ish. And then also, did you know Sharon Stone auditioned for the part? Glenn Close had to throw herself at the casting director over and over and over again. So everybody auditioned for that, but they really did not want Glenn Close. Okay, so get so get this. I'm gonna read off the names of the people who were considered for her role. I'm going to read them off. Okay. Right, listen to this. Rosanna Arquette, Christine Baranski, Ellen Barkin, Kim Basinger, Jennifer Beals, Candace Bergen, Jacqueline Bissett, Kate Capshaw, Stockard Channing, Cher, Jamie Lee Curtis, Beverly D'Angelo, Gina Davis, Allison Judy, Julia Lewis-Dreyfus, Christine Ebersol, Morgan Fairchild, Carrie Fisher, Jennifer Gray, Melanie Griffith, um, Mary Gross, Farrah Fawcett, Jodie Foster, Linda Hamilton, Daryl Hannah, Goldie Hawn, Holly Hunter, Amy Irving, Olivia Newton-John, Diane Keaton, Cheryl Ladd, Jessica Lang, Jennifer Jason Lee, Kay Lenz, Heather Locklear, um, Amy Madigan, Madonna, Kelly McGillis, Bette Midler, Demi Moore, uh, Lena Olin, Catherine O'Hara, Jennifer O'Neill, uh, Annette O'Toole, Michelle Pfeiffer, Annie Potts, Mimi Rogers, Isabella Rossellini, Meg Ryan, Susan Sarandon, Jane Seymour, Ali Sheedy, Sybil Shepherd, Helen Slater, Sissy Spacedick, Mary Steenbergen, Meryl Streep, Kathleen Turner, Sigourney Reaver, Raquel Welch, and Tuesday Weld were all considered for this role. And I can't imagine... <laughs> Anyone else in this part besides Glenn well, Close? It's know. so interesting that up until this film, she was always cast as like Robert Redford's love interest in The Natural, where she was wearing a straw hat and the frock. And now she's so good at playing the villain. You know, oh, like no, her turn she had to damages. fight to do it. But also, more than 20 directors passed on shooting it. This film almost didn't get made without Sherry Lansing, which I read her biography. I don't know if you had, if you listened to it or read it, mm-hmm. but she talks about making this film. It was tough, you know. And then when the fil- once the film was made and, you know, they were getting terrible results from, from interviews they were doing with, um, with people watching it, and they had to change the ending, and Glenn Close didn't want to change the ending, and she was pregnant, and she had a concussion when they refilmed the end. I mean, it was a nightmare. And yet, have you seen the original ending? It's up on YouTube for anyone who's curious. Oh, I never saw it, but I know what yep. it's about. You yeah. can check it out, but it's interesting because she was such a huge villain. I mean, who who can ever forget well, she kills boiling the bunny? Puts his fingerprints on the knife. And yet, when you see it, it's a much more passive ending than that. So when they tried it out on test audiences, they said, no, she's such a villain. We need to see her get killed off. Uh-huh. And, you know, audiences cheered when she got killed in the end. Uh, you know, I, I bring her out as the villain. But the other thing is, behind every good female villain, there's a bad man. And Michael Douglas was a bad guy. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. He was a bad guy. I can't believe Annie Archer took him back. I know. Can I just say behind every female villain, we're going to find a bad guy? Just FYI. Okay, what do you got next? Well, it's interesting that Glenn Close, you know, Cruella DeVille, even though she's not on the list, she was there in Fatal Attraction and so good at playing a villain. You know, it's like her back-to-back Emmys for playing the lawyer in Damages. do 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 not denigrate my Cruella DeVille, who is my favorite Disney character. I've always loved her since I was little. Okay, I'm going to go with Dame Angela Lansbury, 
in The Manchurian Candidate, the original. Oh my God, that's from so brilliant. 1962, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. It's so funny because I remember talking to my mom about this movie, and my mom's like, oh, right, where she played the mother you know, with that incestuous relationship with her son. And I was like, what? Incest? Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast? So I went back and watched. Beast. (laughs) And somehow when it's Angela Lansbury playing a villain, it just sent it up the villainous scale for me. that's a great choice. Chun Jin will give you a two-piece Soviet Army sniper's rifle that fits nicely into a special bag. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head. My next one is Basic Instinct. You know, Sharon Stone. Who And the reason I chose her is because it was the first time I saw a film where a woman used her sexuality against men rather than men taking advantage of their sexuality and them not even half the time knowing it. So it was the first time I remember being in the theater and some women were actually were cheering during Basic Instinct. And I never understood it in that moment. But looking back now, years and years later, what I like about Basic Instinct is she took her sexuality and she blinded men with it when in the history of women, men have taken advantage of women's sexuality. And so I like that about it. So I'm going to pick her, but I'm also going to tell you I like her. You've got two Michael Douglas movies on your list. Uh, Well, you know, he's such a bad guy in so many ways. So Hollister, since we overlapped on Fatal Attraction, I am willing to donate you my third slot. I figured you're probably going to add Nurse Ratchet or Kathy Bates from Misery or somebody. Really? We don't have to have six. We can just land with five. My last one is Mommy Dearest. Oh, good choice. Very good choice. It's the book. um, Christina Crawford wrote a book about her mom, Joan Crawford, and Faye Dunaway played the role, and um, she played it really, really well, I might add. But the reason I picked Mommy Dearest is because it made my mom look really great. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't you give me the respect that I'm entitled to? And I left there thinking, you know, I think I even called her the next day, you know, just to say <laughs> hi, which was very rare. I was not a, oh, let me check in and say hi with my mom kind of girl. But, and I just want to say that I had new appreciation for my mother's kindness after watching Mommy Dearest. So that's why I picked it. That is so funny. Yeah, so those are our five. And maybe we, you know, we just don't have to have a sixth. How about that? It's an open seat at the villain's table. I know. So you know what? If you, if you don't mind, everybody out there, send us your ideas. And we'll pick from the ones you send in. We'll pick our choice along with alongside you. So I love that idea. Screenthoughts at gmail.com. Exactly. Just send it over. Okay, so over and out for this week, for We're sure. I'm going to go be haunted by the live ghost of Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs>